Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you this wonderful day. We've experienced everything this week. We've gotten a little bit of spring, a little bit of winter, which included snow and ice and thunderstorms. How many of you saw lightning in the middle of the snow? I got so excited, I went and looked out the window to see if it would come again. It was amazing. And I was reminded of how wonderful our God is. And again, this morning, as we see the sun shining, his faithfulnesses are so faithful, are so true. Every morning we're reminded of it as we see the sun come up. Our God is good. We're going to learn more about him today from a book in the Bible that never mentions him. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes in our lives we go through and we may not see or think we see God around us, but he's there. And are we looking for him every day. Before we begin, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow to you and give thanks to you for your wonderful goodness. We give thanks to you for your faithfulness. You are good and true, and we rest and hope in you. As we open your word today, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would teach us of things that may awaken us or keep us awake at night. I pray that we might learn how to respond in those times. I pray that you would teach us what it means to give you glory and honor. I pray that you would teach us that we would know how to respond to praise in our own lives. We need you in all things, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, as we begin into Esther chapter 5, I'm going to give you a heads up on some of the lessons we're going to learn. You may have heard me pray about some of them. One of them is, how do we respond to other people's praise? When people praise us for something we have done or for who we are, how do we, or also, how should we respond? That's a very important question in our lives. Now, here's another question. How many of you have ever woken up in the night or when going to bed at night couldn't fall asleep? Oh my, I think it's all of us. What do we do in those moments? Well, we're going to learn about a man today who had that very problem. And um, I think it's important for us to think about our God in those times. And what is he wanting us to think about and what is he wanting us to do in those moments? We're also going to learn about courage. Queen Esther is in a position here where she has a choice to be afraid or she has a choice to be bold. What will she do? And when you and I have a choice to be bold or afraid, what do we do. We're going to learn about these things here in Esther chapter 5. But before we get into Esther chapter 5, will you take your Bibles and turn with me to Esther chapter 4? Because there's a big problem in the kingdom, isn't there? The entire empire of Persia has just received news of a decree, and it's a terrible decree. It is a decree that all Jews, young and old, women and children, be slaughtered. A holocaust, a genocide in the ancient kingdom of Persia has been decreed. You remember the response of the king and Haman when this decree was issued? What did they do? Does anybody remember? What did they do? They started feasting. That's right. They sat down and had a party, started to eat and to drink. Meanwhile, we find out that the people in Sushan, the capital city, it says were perplexed. What did Mordecai, the Jew, do? What did he do? He tore his garments. He sat in sackcloth, you know, the kind of bags potatoes used to come in. And he put ashes on his head, and he wept, and he cried. And he wasn't the only Jew who did this. Remember, Esther didn't know anything about it 
till she observed Mordecai in this condition, and she made inquiry into it. And Mordecai told Esther she needed to do what? What did Mordecai tell Esther she needed to do? Does anybody remember? Toby. Go and talk to the king about it. For he said to her, perhaps for such a time as this, you have come into the kingdom. For such a time as this, you can go to the king. You have access to the king. But did she have access to the king? Did she have access to the king? Do you remember? What happens to somebody who comes into the king and he doesn't extend his royal golden scepter? Gets killed. It's been more than 30 days since the king has called for or even seen his wife. There's definite hints of marriage problems there. It's been a long time. She does, hasn't seen him. She's afraid that he may not even extend the golden scepter to her. Makes me curious, and it's, it's a foolish curiosity, but what happened 30 days ago? That she not only hasn't seen him in 30 days, but is afraid to even see him for her life. Hmm. Big problem. Will Esther find the courage to go to the king? Well, let's find out. She's asked everyone to fast for her. Now, many people read this and they presume that this means fast and pray. But if you note the record, it doesn't say pray. It simply says fast. And this is something that's actually really sad is because throughout the world, even to this day, people practice fasting who have no relationship with the one true God. It happens in cultures and societies all around the world. And so we need to be careful presuming here that this meant fast and pray. I sure hope it meant praying. And boy, if I were a godly Jew, I would believe that this included praying. Well, let's watch the snowfall since nobody's <laughs> listening to me. That's cool. Just don't want to be under it when it happens. Just imagine all your cars parked out there. Now we'll see who gets up and moves their car. <laughs> probably shouldn't have said that, but maybe I should have. Some people might have want to know. Anyway, where were we? It's still falling. <laughs> Esther has a choice. Do you have choices? Times when you know there's something you should do that's right, and it's either hard or you're afraid to do it. Trust God. There is a time for fasting and praying. And this here, when she says, if I perish, I perish, some say that's just the fatalism. Whatever will be, will be. Others say this is a trust in God. You know, you see, it could be either. So what is yours? What is mine? Do we live in fatalism? That is just what, whatever, whatever's going to be. Or do we trust that God is in control, God is sovereign, and we can trust in him even if we die doing what is right? So will Esther go to the king? Well, where is the king here? Here's Mr. King. Come sit, sit in your throne, your majesty. And where is Esther? Where'd she go? Oh, here she is. Well, you know the first thing that it tells us in chapter 5 on the third day Esther does? It says that she put on her royal apparel. So where's your royal apparel? You don't know. <laughs> you know, a famous misconception we have is that, we, that, that queens and kings and princes wear their crowns all the time. They don't. We have a little book that's actually written by a royal, modern-day royal princess, and she writes a story about how, no, we don't wear, wear our crowns all the time. She tells a little fictional story about what happens when a prince thinks he should. He ruins the crown. It's a terrible thing. They don't wear them all the time. So now Esther, she is getting on her royal apparel. Well, it at least is, let's say, your tiara, your crown. Can you hold that on there ever so steady? Now, why do you think she's getting on her crown? 
Is there something important that she's going to do? How many of you think that she has something important she's going to do? Oh, how many of you think it's just her, what she just wants to play dress up today? Oh, <laughs> no, she doesn't want to play dress up. She's got something important to do. She is going to go before the king. Now it tells us that the king is sitting in his royal throne. Now, this is a special room. This is a special place. This is a special seat. There are guards all around. There are princes and dignitaries all around. And Esther came, and she stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house. You come, just stand over here. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house, over against the gate of the house. And what's going to happen? The king, he sees you hiding behind these flowers. <laughs> Is he going to order her to be executed? What's he going to do? Well, it tells us here in verse 2 that she obtained favor in his sight. Favor. And you know what he did? The king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And so she drew near and touched the top of the scepter. <laughs> I wonder if she really did it that way. I'm glad you did it that way. It creates a good conversation. This was her life. <laughs> you, you, some of you could see, some of you couldn't. She came up and did this. I imagine that she actually took that and gazed into her king's eyes with gratitude for extending it. Gratitude. Because if he didn't extend this to you, you would be dead. But he did. And he suspects she has a reason for being here. So he says, What wilt thou, Queen Esther, and what is thy request? It shall be given thee unto the half of the kingdom. If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. Cause Haman to come here and make haste, that he may do as Esther has said. Oh, there's a plan. Wait a minute. What's her request? Shouldn't it be, oh, king, please save the Jews. This wicked Haman, he is determined to kill them all, and I'm one of them too. No, that's not her request. What's her request? Edith, what's her request? That Haman and the king come to a dinner. Hmm, that's interesting. I suggest to you that this demonstrates on the part of Esther wisdom. Wisdom. She's now standing before a whole bunch of people. Haman's not even there. There's a problem. So she invites the king to a banquet. Oh, oh, we're supposed to make haste. Hey, Haman, 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 it says make haste. You know what that means? That means Move, 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 fast. Come on, hurry up. Oh. <laughs> yes, yeah, see, they didn't do that back in this day. No, not yet. Well, here's Haman. Yeah, boo. You all know the head of the... Well, yeah, you could have a good reason to be boo. Make haste. There's this plan. There is a banquet. And so... Esther goes and she prepares this banquet. And it's, oh, look, you've got it already prepared back here. You can tell that some Westerners prepared this banquet. You know how you know? It's way too high of a table. So you're just going to have to do some imagining here. Back in these days when you came to a feast like this, you didn't sit in chairs. 
you laid down on cushions on the floor. It was a low table. You'd recline while you ate your food. Speak of, speak of TV trays. This is the ultimate. <laughs> down on the cushions on the floor. So, Haman, King Ahasuerus, they're, they're going to come. They're going to come to this royal banquet. Oh, Haman, you wouldn't go to a party dressed like that. Come on, get dressed up. Yes, this is a special day. I mean, listen, hey, how many people do you know who get to go eat dinner with the queen and king? Nobody else. That's pretty special, right? Well, so they all come together. They're going to come to this feast. So it tells us, then went forth Haman, or in verse, verse 5, so the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Here they are. Yum, yum. Look at all that delicious food. You're imagining it. And the king, he says to Esther at the banquet of wine, Ah, uh, this king, he knows there's something more than just the fact that you want to have a party. My petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them, and, will, and I will do tomorrow as the king hath said. Another banquet? What about asking to save the life of the Jews? I, I thought you were telling me to save the life of the Jews. Do you know what I suspect? Did you see what it says this banquet was? Banquet of wine? I wonder if the king was half drunk. Don't know. But whatever the case, Esther certainly sensed that the time was not right. And instead of making that request in that day at that moment, she invited you to another feast. How does it make you feel, Haman? He's not sure. It makes you feel really special. I mean, look, you're just here right together with just the king and the queen. I mean, doesn't get much more high special than that. So there's the plan. You know what? Haman is thrilled. He gets to have a party with the king and queen, private audience, and so he is going to go home thrilled. It tells us that then went forth Haman that day joyful and with a glad heart. Smile. You're happy. You're so happy. Just kind of skip down back on home, right? Can you skip, skip? Yeah. There. But look, you're all, hang on, hang on, hang on. Nobody is obeying the king's command. You're all supposed to be standing up and bowing to him as he's prancing home, looking at all of you. Yeah, yeah, I just got to eat with the king, and now look at all these people. Except for him. That Mordecai, he doesn't bow to you. He's never bowing. So the prance that he pranced, glad, cheerful heart on the way home, it tells us, look at verse 9. Then when Haman forth that day, joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up. A lot of you guys are acting like him. Nor moved for him. I mean, he didn't even move. Like, not even moved. He just sitting. No. <sighs> Haman was full of indignation against Haman. So that happy Haman turned to this pouting, sulking, mad, indignant Haman. He was just furious at this Mordecai. But he's going home. Forget any Mordecai. I had a great night. I have feasted with the king. Oh, yeah. So he goes on home. He'll keep on going home. He'll wrap around this way. And his home, is, his home is, well, over here. And his wife, Zeresh, she's up here. 
she's at home. And, and I wonder if she yet knew that he was with, with the king that night. For it tells us that even though uh, Mordecai made him indignant, huh, Haman refrained himself. He got himself under control. Because um, he doesn't want to tell everybody at home about this, Haman, or does he? And so when he came home, you know what he does? He calls for his friends. So, all friends of Haman, come on up here. Doesn't look like you have any friends here. <laughs> they boo you around here. They don't, none of them stand up for you. You all must be getting ready to celebrate Purim. What's Purim? Purim is the holiday where the Jews celebrate the deliverance of the Jews. Do you know when Purim is? How many of you know when Purim is? Well, some of you do. It starts tomorrow. Jews all around the world, tomorrow night at 6 p.m., will begin celebrating Purim. Sad thing is, they kind of celebrate it the way King Ahasuerus celebrates stuff. Sadly, in many places, it's just a drunken party. It's really weird. It's sad. Almost the polar opposite of what they really should be celebrating. But there are many who do celebrate it in the sovereignty of God, and it's beautiful. So here, he calls for all his friends. Oh, yes, all his friends, and for Zeresh, his wife. And Haman, he tells them of all the glory of his riches. He has a lot of riches. And the multitude of his children. He's got 10 of them. And of all the things wherein the king had promoted him, like he's more powerful than the king because he's got the king's ring. Ah, and how he had advanced him above the princes and the servants of the king. And so Haman, he says... Yea, Esther the queen did not let no man come in with the king unto the banquet that she had prepared, but myself and tomorrow am I invited unto her also with the king. Yet all this availeth me nothing, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Yeah. That Mordecai. You see... He's got all the riches, he's got all the power, he's got all the multitude of the promotion and the advancement. But did you see what he says? All this availeth me nothing. 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 What? So long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Not bowing, not standing, sitting. So Zeresh, his wife, she's got a good idea. Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then thou go in merrily with the king unto the banquet. Problem solved. Did you all hear it? Did you hear the plan? Did you hear what she said? She said, let a gallows be made. Do you know what a gallows is? You don't know what a gallows is? How many... Do you know what a gallows is? You're not sure, are you? Yeah, you've probably never seen one. A gallows is a, it's, it's like a stage where there's a rope hanging, and they tie the rope around the person's head, and then they take the stage away, and they hang there until they're dead. Hanged death. Not good. Terrible thing. Well, it's a way some people have been executed in history. She's suggesting that there be a magnificent gallows made. Wow, 50 cubits high. You know how big that is? A cubit is 18 inches. That's a foot and a half. That means this gallows is 75 feet tall. Would you like a little perspective? From the floor to the peak, is only about 30 feet. Multiply that by almost three times, not quite. Wow, that's a big gallows. That's a big gallows just to hang a guy. Oh, this proves how great you are. Most people can't do this. Overnight. She's giving this idea overnight. You're going to build a gallows 75 feet tall, Tomorrow, go to the king, ask the king, let's hang Mordecai on the gallows, and then when you get done with Mordecai, you can walk through the king's gate, and he won't be sitting there anymore. 
he'll be hanging 75 feet high in your backyard. And um, you can go have that feast with the queen and the king. Oh, how wonderful. How many think this is a good plan? None of you think it's a good plan? Now you can do your boo. Does that sound like him? Yeah, boo. This is why people boo Haman. Such a terrible idea. Well, this is Zeresh. Boo her too. Well, guess what? (laughs) So here it is. Do you think the thing makes Haman happy or mad? Happy. You see what it says there? Right there? It says, and the thing pleased Haman. Made him happy. And he caused the gallows to be made. The plan for the gallows is to be made. So, you guys just go to bed. The gallows is being made in your backyard. Enjoy a good night's sleep. King, it's time for you to go to bed too. Boy, what a pitiful bed for a king. No wonder why he couldn't sleep. Well, you know, he can't sleep. And not just because of the bed. I'll promise you, Ahasuerus had the best king-sized best, best king bed that you could have. Because he was the king. That's why they call it a king-sized bed. He had it all, but tonight he didn't have sleep. For it tells us that on that night could not the king sleep. Ah, oh, he is so tired. You know, people have that device for you when you can't sleep. Sometimes they say count sheep, right? That never works for me unless I'm praying for the sheep. That sometimes puts me to sleep. Sometimes it doesn't help. It makes it worse. But what is it all? What do you do? Well, King Ahab... Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Get the record of the book of the Chronicles. So we got to go back into... Let's see, where is this? Something boring to read for the king. Let's see. Oh, I think I found something. Yeah, okay. Now lay down, your majesty. We're going to read to his majesty from the record. You know what this is? This is the boring everyday records of the kingdom. It's just all the minute details. This happened and this happened, and this is how many sheep and goats and cows. It actually is a little bit like counting sheep. It was all the records of the kingdom. But you know, every once in a while, there's something interesting. For it tells us that they read before the king. And as they started to read, they started to record an event that King Ahasuerus didn't have any idea know about at all. They're reading along, and they come and they start talking about an assassination attempt on King Ahasuerus' life. Now, you all know what I'm talking about, right? Do you remember Teresh and Bichthan? They had plotted to assassinate Ahasuerus? Well, apparently, his majesty is hearing about this for the first time. And instead of falling asleep, he wakes up even more. Why? There were some people who tried to kill me, and somebody ratted on them, and I was rescued from them. And so the king is curious as they're reading this record, and, and so, so he asks of the servant. I've got to check the record. What, what honor, what dignity was given to Mordecai for sparing the king's life by reporting this crime or potential crime? And they're looking. There's nothing done for him. Who's in the court? Who's in the court? Well, you know what? This was all night. Who's in the court? Well, about this time, about this time, remember the gallows has been being made all night long, and Haman just can't wait. Maybe he couldn't sleep either because he is excited about coming to the king first thing in the morning and asking the king for permission to hang Mordecai. 
Huh? Guess what? So they yes, who's in the court? Oh, why? Behold, Haman standeth in the court. Oh, yes, let him come in. Well, there's this plan. Haman, let it come into the king. Oh, wow, you get to come into the king's bedroom, apparently. Maybe, I don't know what this is. Ah, let him come in. Well, you look here. Look here. They want to have a conversation about the same person. They just don't know that yet. He wants to talk about Mordecai, and he wants to talk about Mordecai. So when Haman, he comes on in here to the king, uh, the king asks him, because you are his most royal advisor and drinking buddy. And so he says to him, What shall be done to the man whom the king delighted to honor? Oh, now Haman says, hmm, the king wants to delight to honor someone. Ah, that must be me. Now, of course, I'm his most trusted advisor. I'm his drinking buddy. I'm everything to the king. Oh, wait, last night I had a party with him. Just this private exclusive thing. King is just looking for ways to really honor me. In fact, look, listen to what he says to himself. To whom would the king d delight to do honor more than myself? Hmm. So he thinks the king's talking about Haman. Who's the king really talking about? Mordecai, not Haman. But Haman thinks it's Haman. So listen, listen to Haman's plan. For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which set upon his head, and let his apparel be and horse be delivered to the hand of the one's king most noble princes, and they may array the man withal whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to, know, to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Make haste, and take the apparel as thou hast said, and let it be done even to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth in the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast said. Huh? What's the lone face for, Haman? Here is the plan. Go forth, just like you came up with the idea, and not some puny little crown like this. No, the king's crown and the king's robe. And the king's horse. And some of you are like, what's the big deal? Nobody rides the king's horse but the king. I thought you were the most important. No, you're not. <sighs> to add salt to the wound, who's he supposed to do this for? The Jew? He doesn't look very indignant. Yeah, Haman, he had to do this. So then took Haman the apparel <clears throat> and the horse, and he went and go, go. Array Mordecai! And brought him through the street of the city, proclaiming thus before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Now do you think that's the way he said it? I don't know. Hey, Mordecai, go ahead, get yourself dressed here. Get on the king's horse. Haman's going to lead you through everywhere. So imagine there's a horse he gets on, and what do you say? <laughs> what do you say, Amen? <laughs> what do you say, Amen? A little louder. Thus shall, shall it be done unto, unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. I think that's pretty accurate. 
I don't think he wanted to say the words. I think they had a hard time coming out. Now, I think when he thought himself on that horse, he thought it would be like this. Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. With Mordecai, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. I don't know how he said it, but he sure didn't want to say it, did he? He'd come to the king to get Mordecai hung, lifted up on the gallows. Instead, he gets lifted up to a position of honor equal to the king. The people see this in the city of Sushan, and they think here is Haman, the greatest man whom the king has told everyone to bow to, everyone's supposed to bow to Haman, is now leading Mordecai the Jew, the one guy who never bows to him, through the streets declaring, thus shall be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And so they did a loop around the city and came back to the gate. (sighs) Haman, he can hardly bear this. You know, he normally marches through the city where everybody sees him. He's going to go home now. Loop through the city. But you know what? He doesn't want nobody to even know who he is. No bowing to King Mordecai this time. He covers his head and quietly goes home, sulking, pouting. Now, I wonder what his wife thought, because see, he had left that morning to go to the king to ask to hang Mordecai, and, and now he comes home, no bowing. No, no, his head is covered, and he's in mourning. And then Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. And so his wife comforts him. Of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shall surely fall before him. I don't think it helped comfort him. <laughs> she basically says to him, You've had a plan to destroy all the Jews already. Now the king has lifted him above you, equal to himself. <gasps> you won't prosper. You'll not prevail. You'll not win against Mordecai you'll surely fall before him. But don't worry, Mordecai. Oh, I'm sorry, Haman. You've still got a dinner party to go to, and you can't go looking like that, right? Haman is pretty bummed, but you know what? At least he can go to the king's party with the queen. And while they were having this conversation... The entourage, the chamberlains. Modern times, it would be the, 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 uh, the presidential motorcade drove up to pick you up, to bring you to the palace for the feast that Esther had prepared. Well, what's going to happen tonight? Hmm. We'll have to wait till next week to find out. Or you can read ahead. Always a good idea to read ahead. But let's think about some things here today. You can sit down, Ethan, thank you. Let's think about some things here today. Let's start with the question, what do you do when you can't sleep at night? Do you know that if you read particularly the Psalms, you'll find out that the the psalmist, the one who writes the Psalms, many times couldn't sleep. Have you ever noticed that? What does he do? Well, we find him doing different things. One thing we find him doing is praying. I think that's good. One thing we find him doing is singing. Singing in his bed. I think that's good. That's a good plan. We find him also meditating. That means that he is thinking. He is thinking about his God. He is thinking about the words of God. In fact, he talks about the words of God's mouth 
being, his meditation, his thoughts. He thinks them over. He thinks of how it applies to him day and night. Sometimes, perhaps, God doesn't want us to sleep because there's something he wants us to talk to him about. I think sometimes God doesn't let us sleep because sometimes he wants us to praise him from our bed. Sometimes God doesn't want us to sleep because he wants us to think about what he has written in his word. This is why it's so important for us every day to be reading his word, to be memorizing his word. Think back in the days of the psalmist, you didn't just flip on the little nightlight or the lamp to get light in the night. You had to go light a candle. You had to go light a lamp. Well, do we know scripture in our hearts that we can meditate at even in the dark, even in the night? I'm not saying you can't get up and flip on that light, but let's know this word in the daytime and in the nighttime. It's very important how we spend that time in our night. I find it really intriguing, just to share another parallel passage, is throughout the scriptures it talks about God trying our reins. I've shared before with you, your reins are your kidneys. God tries them. Well, what do your kidneys do? Your kidneys filter the toxins out of your blood. They filter the toxins out of your blood so that first thing in the morning you can flush it away. That's what happens with your kidneys. If God is trying the reins, and it actually speaks of him several times in scriptures of doing it at the nighttime, I believe the parallel between the kidneys is not just some Hebrew idiom to speak of the heart. No, those, some of the modern attempts to try to relativize it to, to quote-unquote modern culture and refer to it as the heart is not a good idea, I don't think. The kidneys are significant. God chose it on a, for a reason. What is he needing to filter from your mind, from your heart, from who you are on the inside? What are toxins from the day that need to be filtered out in the night seasons? Sometimes you can't sleep because of guilt. Confess your sins. Find the faithfulness of God who is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousnesses. Sometimes you can't sleep because of the guilt that needs to be confessed. And for forgiveness, it needs to be received. Sometimes we can't sleep because we won't accept the forgiveness. That's a whole other problem. Sometimes it's guilt, and sometimes it's that we don't accept the forgiveness. We need to accept the forgiveness. We need to deal with the guilt. We need to purpose that when God convicts us of something, even in the night seasons, that as soon as possible that next day, to make it right. Make it right first there with God, even in your bed. So many things in the night seasons need to be done. I had just an experience recently. There was something that was troubling me, and it finds me in, it's the parallels to, to Ahasuerus intrigue me because it's somewhat similar. And I realized the providence and the sovereignty of God for many decades that led to a pivotal time in one night in my life. I was troubled by something. I couldn't sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night hit with something troubling me. Couldn't go to sleep. Couldn't go to sleep. Finally, I got up. I went downstairs all the way down to the basement. And I get to the bottom of the steps, and what do I find? I find two whole shelves of my bookcases emptied onto the floor. My littlest, 18-month-old, had emptied my bookcase onto the floor. And I was tempted to be grumpy. I was already troubled. Now I had a reason to be grumpy. Did I? Thought I did. I purposed I wasn't going to be grumpy. Why? How does an 18-month-old know? So I sat down on that little floor with all those books dumped around, and I thought it was going to be real easy to put them just back up on the shelf, alph alphabetical, author, order, and I found out she mixed categories. <clears throat> but you know what I found out? It was a good thing she'd mixed categories. I pick up the first book to see which category it needed to go back, be shelved with, and I pick up this book, and I'm like... I didn't know I had this book. How many of you had that problem? Well, I inherited so many books over the last year. Didn't know, I haven't know what all the books I have. And boy, the title caught my attention. I was like, oh, that kind of is about what's keeping me awake. And so I opened the book, and you know what? There was a bookmark in the book. It was a book for my wife's grandfather. And he put a bookmark in the book. And then 
I saw a star in the margin. And you know what it was next to? A Bible verse. And I read that Bible verse, and all that had troubled me disappeared in a moment. Because the truth of God's word countered the trouble. And my mind and heart was at peace. And I began to smile and rejoice as I reshelved my books. And I meditated on that. I couldn't go back to sleep now, not because I was troubled. I was so excited in the providence of God. What is the providence of God? Not only in the truth of his word, but in the providence of God. Think about it with me for a moment. Oh, about four feet of books came off those shelves. My little girl had no idea what was troubling me, had no idea what book to put on top for me, but I think somebody did. God did. She dumped those shelves out, and the book on top was the book that was precisely I needed in God's providence. I couldn't sleep in God's providence. I followed the advice of my wife that after a certain period of time of tossing and turning, get up. And in God's providence, I got up. I find this book in God's providence. In God's providence, more than 20 years before, my, my wife's grandfather had been to a conference where this book had been purchased or was given to him, and he had a bulletin from that conference from 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago. And he had written notes on that bulletin, and he had stuffed it onto this page, and he had read this book, and I think he was actually dealing with a similar problem I was dealing with. And he, 20 years ago, had starred that Bible verse. Do you see the providence of God? I have one night when I can't sleep, and yet more than 20 years ago, God began to prepare things from my grandfather-in-law going to a conference, receiving this book, reading the book, marking the precise scripture, then willing it to me, me receiving it, putting it on my shelf down low where my daughter could pull it off and providentially left it there on top. And then God said, you're not going to sleep because I want you to find that verse. Do you see the sovereignty of God, the providence of God? And do you see also the ministry of the word? All my troubles poof, vanished because God countered them with truth. Many times our troubles are the fiery, deceptive darts of Satan. He's feeding us lies. He's feeding us lies. And the shield of faith, <laughs> the ministry of the war, word, the sword, which is the word of God, is what counters the lies, the fiery darts. And so I encourage you, when you can't sleep at night, Talk to the shepherd, read his book, read his truth, know him more, and praise him. In that one night, I couldn't sleep. I prayed, I learned truth, and I spent the rest of the night praising him. And you know what? You would think after staying up most of the night, you'd be exhausted the next day. I think I had the best day ever that next day. Why? Because I was going forth in the spirit. My flesh certainly was weak, but in going forth in the Spirit, I had been renewed. We all need those experiences. So the next time that you're awake and can't fall asleep, ask yourself and ask your God, why? Why? I think that if we truly seek to know why, He'll give us what we need, and we'll end that night praising so let's not neglect those glorious night watches. That's what they're called sometimes. That's both the guard who has to watch, but also those night watches we have when we can't sleep. There's another scripture I'd like you to turn to, and that is in Revelation chapter 4. We only have one minute left. At the beginning, I asked you, what do we do when other people praise us? Just so you know, I have a real problem with Mordecai. I see no legitimate reason why Mordecai couldn't bow to Haman couldn't give honor to Haman. There's no reason given. Yes, speculation gives lots of good reasons, but I don't see a good reason. Here now, he gets it. 
You know, did he stop Haman and say, oh, no, 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 Haman, don't honor men. You know, I've not been honoring you, so don't let people honor me. Something's fishy about Mordecai. I don't know what Mordecai, but let me just leave Mordecai in history. And let's talk about ourselves. Are we worthy of honor? Are we worthy of glory? Are we worthy of praise? Hmm. You know what amazes me? I shared this a few weeks ago just briefly with you is that God wants to glorify us. Oh, how humbling that is. He wants to glorify us in his favor, in his grace. Look with me at Revelation chapter 4. We find a declaration, actually, of Revelation chapter 4. It tells us that there were four and twenty elders who are seated around the very throne of God, where God has sat upon the throne. You know what these four and twenty elders are described as doing in verse 10, Revelation 10, 4? They worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. They had received crowns. Crowns are things you receive for honor or for winning, being rewarded for something. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou, God, art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, including us, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Let's start practicing in this life, in this day, and in this time. Let's start celebrating the one who is truly worthy. When we have accomplishments or when we are praised, let us praise the one to whom is ultimately worthy and only worthy of glory and honor. And so let's start practicing today so that when one day we do stand before this throne, we know we will. But let's not wait to start saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Let's start doing that today. So that when one day, I say when, not if, will we have the crowns? If we begin practicing this now, we'll have the crowns then to cast at his feet. I'll be really transparent with you. The loss of reward spoken of in the scriptures, loss of the crowns, you might say, are really because we aren't practicing this in all of our achievements and accomplishments today. Let's start living in this reality today and look forward to that day when we'll have a crown to cast at his feet. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray to you, exalt you. You are worthy of honor. You are worthy of praise. You are great. We bow to you. May we walk in this life living, living this reality, living worship of you. We look to that day when we'll stand before you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, may we be faithful, for you are faithful. We pray this in your name. Amen.